The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to another episode of The Things We All Carry. This week is my 48th episode and my guest is Rob Sweetman. Rob is one of the founders and is the CEO of 62 Romeo. Rob is a former Navy SEAL turned entrepreneur. He served eight years in the Navy and was deployed twice as a Navy SEAL. His SEAL career ended in retirement due to a back injury. As with any veteran, Rob had a few hidden injuries as well, to include PTSD, traumatic brain injury, obstructive sleep apnea, and insomnia. In 2017, Rob lost a platoon mate to suicide. This young man had struggled for years with sleep disorders and at the time of the suicide had been awake for five days. This was the impetus to Rob's decision to dive into sleep science. He has since then dedicated himself to the endeavor of solving the bi-directional relationship between sleep and mental health. As firefighters, first responders, and shift workers, we are all affected by this issue. Middle of the night calls, poor sleep habits, anticipatory sleep, irregular sleep patterns, you name it, we have it. We also have alarming rates of mental health issues and suicide. Rob's company and research sets out to tackle this issue with science and education, and they want to do it with you, not paying a dime. Reach out to Rob at 62romeo.org and apply to be in a cohort today. It might just save your life. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. your life experience with the SEAL teams and how you got into it. And I know that we're not going to go too far in depth with it because I really want to spend time on the sleep issue more than anything. It's a big issue. Uh, it's a massive issue, especially for, for anybody, for military, first responders, whatever. It's a huge issue. If you're working shift, it's, it's a nasty issue. Yeah, we had a group that... We have these groups that we do for 62 Romeo where the firefighters go through the program and then they can continue to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And got a report this morning of two more suicides at just at one battalion. And they're reaching out for help, but how much can the IAFF, this be a much deeper problem? And I don't know what the solution is. We can offer the 60 Romeo course and we can try to help people get better sleep, which we know helps mental health but this is a much larger problem. Yeah. And that's something I want to get into because you offer a program or you offer the suggestions and it's up to us as first responders and military to, to take those suggestions and those guidances and, and run with them. And as a whole, we don't do that. We ignore it. That's part of the problem is that from my perspective, being in the military and then trans transitioning out of the military and then going to the VA, they're going to give you suggestions most likely uh, pills, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. But they do try to, 
Yeah, they do try to offer some good suggestions, um, sleep hygiene suggestions. Hey, get more exercise, get sunlight, try to set up a sleep schedule, try a sleep diary. But the thing is, you get this printout and you bring it home and you look at it and you're like, what do I do with this? And most people just don't follow through with it. So the advantage of the 62 Romeo program is that we take the time to walk people through all of the education, all of the material that's out there in science that we can get our hands on. And then throughout that six weeks, they're able to do it and actually practice it. And that builds habits that creates a physiological response, that response that we're looking for, which we measure and we see improvements in sleep throughout the program. It's a beautiful thing. Let's do this. Why don't we get started and I'll introduce you and then we'll get into all of that because I don't want, I don't want you to have to go through it multiple times. All right. So if you're ready, I'll do it. Just It's just going to be your name and who you are, where you are, and then I'll get into your background. You, you good with that? I'm good with that. Awesome. All right. So today I have Rob from 62 Romeo joining me. He's one of the founders of 62 Romeo. He's going to get into exactly what they do and what they're concerned with. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks for having me, Brendan. I just want to give you a chance to give us a short background, where you're from, where you grew up, where you're at now, and then we'll we'll get into some of what your life has brought you. Thanks. Yeah, I was born in Kansas. A lot of farmland out there, big flat land, lots of corn, cattle. But at six years old, my father moved us out to the Carolinas where he's from. And that's where I really grew up. I found myself in small business. I tried college once and dropped out. I came back later and tried college when I was a little bit older. But at some point in time, I decided to join the military. I didn't join right out of high school like my brother did, regretfully. But it did proved to be a, a very enlightening experience, joining the military at 29, going through budge training. I ended up being a SEAL, I did a couple of pumps at SEAL Team 7, finished out at Advanced Training Command. And then as I transitioned, I did go back to school, got my bachelor's, finished my master's, and put a real focus on sleep science. And that's something that I'd really like to talk to you about today. So one of the things we talked about, I, it's been a couple of weeks since we, since we had our first conversation was that that old man's view of SEAL training and maybe the same way how we could relate it to my view of the fire academy because I was the old man going through the fire academy. And it's, it's funny for me to say old man at 29 years old, but in, for SEALs and for BUDS, that's an old man, correct? Yeah, the cutoff is 28 without a waiver. So I signed on the dotted line at 28, but I was in the delayed entry program for six months. By the time I made it to, actually, I arrived on my 29th birthday in Coronado. So that was a beautiful birthday. Gosh, you say happy birthday. Full of pain and agony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's not a, it's not an old man's game. It's a young man's game. And it was very difficult. I had some advantages, but a lot of disadvantages. What do you, how do you think life experience relates to the service. How, how do you think bringing that amount of life experience into the service and then going into BUDS, how do you think that re- helps you or, or hinders you? The life experience piece was huge because not only had I become a man already and cut my teeth in a different career, but I understood a little bit more about life and you know who we are. And I wasn't um, a naive 18-year-old that uh, didn't know anything about anything. No disrespect to the 18-year-olds that sign up, but I knew who I was. I didn't need the military to define that. And joining the the particularly difficult path that I I chose, I 
was expecting some mind games. The Bud's training for SEALs, it's all about mind games. It's all a mental game. So in that way, I feel like I had a leg up because I could perceive the games and navigate them differently than if I was younger. So I feel like that was a huge advantage. I already knew who I was as, as a man, and I could simply use patience and take a look at the big picture of what was going on that really helped me in pushing through the program. You know, also talking about going in there at 29, well, 28, 29, you're, you're, versus an 18 or 19-year-old going in there, you're looking at coming in with a fully formed brain versus that 19-year-old coming in with not really a fully formed brain yet. And so is it, a, it, was it, was it trickier to, to conform to what they were trying to get you to do? It was more difficult to, to get into the mindset that they wanted me to because I already knew who I was and had an idea of, you know, where I wanted to go with this. So I think it was a little bit more difficult for them to convince me of everything that they wanted me to believe in. But with that said, I, you know, 28, 29, my, my brain was already pretty well formed. They say that the brain stops forming or is fully developed at 25, 26. And, and it's interesting because how does traumatic brain injury, blast exposure impact my brain as a, a 28, 29-year-old versus the 18-year-old? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I don't know if you have it fully formed is it does it lose some of elasticity after blast injury yeah i think so the the current research is showing that the blast exposure causes astroglial scarring mm -hmm. and the best way i can describe it is think of the battery on your truck when it get all of the funky stuff on the terminals and then you to pour the coca-cola on it to <laughs> clean up the terminals that's our brain after this scarring and some of those neural pathways both with speech and memory and, and all the things that we love about our brain sometimes those things get short-circuited or there's no connection at all and so we lose some of the function we lose some of our faculties and you can come out of military service after being exposed to to blasts and have a brain fog and not be the person that you were before you joined the service. Yeah, so it, it definitely changes the game the older you are. I, I can def, I can see that. How long did you serve? I was in for eight years. All right, and then what year did you get out? 2018, so it's 2010 to 2018. All right, and you got your master's degree while you were in, or did you get that afterwards? I, I was fortunate enough to be accepted to the University of California San Diego here. I felt like I probably wasn't the best applicant, but they accepted me. I guess maybe I had a good interview, but I was super grateful about that. It was an incredible opportunity. And that was part of my transition program. I met people from all over the world, different cultures, different mindsets. And it was really a beautiful way for me to transition out of the military mindset back into the civilian world. What did you start out with in school? You, you mentioned you got your bachelor's, then you got your master's. What, what was your undergraduate studies in? Everything was focused on leadership. I wanted to understand how to bring an organization up or manage an organization better than some of the leaders that I saw out in the community. So my uh, undergrad was organizational leadership. And then I continued that path with a master's in business administration, MBA. 
Um, I took a focus on entrepreneurship and I spent all of my time in the library researching sleep. So I use that library card for access to all the scholarly journals on sleep. So the library card was basically your free education and while you're paying for the other education, huh? Absolutely. I spent time in the library researching sleep and I spent time at Jacobs School of Engineering rubbing shoulders with the geniuses over there building robotics. And my dream was to create a sleep pod that was fully immersive and cut out the external world and let you have like peace and tranquility inside. I did end up building it. We tested it. We did a bunch of the entrepreneurial challenges and that prototype still exists at our partner factory, but we put a pause on that to work on some other things. So almost like a, like a float chamber, but for sleep? Kind of like a float chamber in the way that you are able to relax, uh, but it would just be a normal mattress Mm -hmm. in the inside your entire visual range is an organic light emitting diode display, which means that we can turn off every pixel. We can control the amount of blue light. And the way that we designed it was to create this virtual environment, like VR, except for nothing touches you. You don't put anything on your head. And with that, we used virtual reality software to create our first environment was basically Hawaii. And we built it virtually within this software. And then we projected it on the screen on the inside. And so it it looked like when you were laying in it, it looked like you were looking through a window into another place. So you could be whisked away to Hawaii or the rainforest or wherever you chose, you could choose where you uh, went. And with that, you could watch a sunset or you could just listen to tranquil music. But more importantly, this would be your protected sleep space, even if you just wanted to take a nap. That's, that's pretty fascinating, actually, because you can control every aspect of it. That's, that's awesome. That's right. So you go from you go from SEALs to school. How do you get into how do you get into 62 Romeo? What, what's the reason behind what you're doing now? As I mentioned, we put the sleep pod on the back burner and I tried to start working on something a little bit easier. What I found was that hardware and software is extremely expensive and time consuming it was way more to bite off than I could chew. And so I wanted to do something smaller. I wanted to have a victory. And so I ended up building something that was smaller. It goes in your bedroom. It's a light and sound device. And the thinking was this would be even more effective because now we're not offering this crazy big sleep pod that only a few people can afford kind of thing. And we were allowing the average person to have the the price point for the average person to be able to purchase this. And so in that way, it could be more of a ubiquitous solution offered to the average person. And the product was a hit. We never went to market with it. We're still in the, the lab tweaking it. But a couple of years ago, we wanted to test it. And so the best way that I thought to test this was to create a six-week program. With that, we created an entire curriculum. And so all we wanted to do was test this light and sound device. The results of this six-week program were remarkable. It it was clinically significant in terms of the the data that came out of it. We improved people's sleep. It was a life-changing event. But then I went back to the drawing board on how do we continue building and deploying this this product. It wasn't until we had uh, chip shortages. We had issues with the China chips. If you recall that during COVID, it was a big deal. And so we had to go back to the drawing board on some of the circuit boards, and it was a lull period. And so I met with a woman named Lori, 
and we talked about what happened with that six-week program, and we decided to put together a nonprofit that would embody this six-week program, and instead of using our product, we just used something off of Amazon, which was not quite as good. We tested a bunch of equipment, and so we picked out the one that was the best of what's currently available. So right now we're using the Hatch Restore, which is another light and sound device. So we put together the six-week program. We refined it a little bit. It's basically the same thing. We didn't want to change it too much because it was super effective. We made it about veterans and first responders. So 62 Romeo is a veteran and first responder nonprofit. It's a sleep program that's free to the veteran and first responder. And the way that we do business is find those donors, those people who care about the community and have them pay for it. And I didn't think, my first thought was, we'll probably get a bunch of SEALs and get a bunch of funding for team guys. But what happened was something that I couldn't have predicted. I met a gentleman by the name of Kevin Fee over at Reliable Automatic Sprinkler Company, and they showed an extreme passion for the firefighter problem. And at the time, I really didn't understand the firefighter problem. It took Ray Norton, a retired firefighter, to explain to me the issues within uh, the fire service. And with funding and a whole lot of passion, we kicked this off with firefighters. So we've actually put more firefighters through the program than anybody else. We have helped out veterans and we're kicking off our first all Navy SEAL cohort this Wednesday. But because we were able to really jump in head first with firefighters, now here I am in the middle of understanding this problem and it's a big deal. It's a big deal that we're making an impact with, but we need a lot more work. So a lot more. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, the issues with, first, or with firefighters and sleep. What, what did you find initially? I'm seeing some of the, the typical things that you might see in any demographic, which are sometimes excessive alcohol use, sometimes poor sleep hygiene. But probably most importantly, and across the board, we have this shift work issue, and that is common across all shift workers. So when a firefighter uh, especially somebody that's working a busy uh, house, when they have that, like, for example, a 4896, and they're in there for two days, and they're getting calls all night. Some of them are, we're seeing a lot of the, the fentanyl calls, or just homeless with drug problems. That's okay, but it's not exactly what the fire service was designed for, but they're still getting up, and they're going to those calls, like clockwork at 2 a.m. So how are they supposed to get sleep when during their sleep period, they're out on calls? And the answer is they're not getting sleep. And the result of this is that over time, sleep deprivation will damage your brain. It'll damage your heart. It can make you pre-diabetic. It, you know, sleep deprivation is linked to all-cause mortality and everything you can imagine dying from can be linked to sleep. And so if we're getting bad sleep, it impacts our physical well-being as well as our mental health. We're seeing a very sharp increase in suicide rates in first response, especially since COVID. And so when we look at sleep, it's one thing that 62 Romeo has the power to, to make improvements on. And as folks go through the program, what we're seeing is that, oh, yeah, their mental health is improving. Their physical health is improving. Their relationships at home are improving. So that just proves that sleep is a very important part of the entire picture of wellness. So when you talk about shift workers, especially with firefighters, there's a variety of shifts. 
you mentioned yeah. a 4896. There's obviously, there's a 36 hour shift. There's what I do. It's a 20, it's a 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on. And I take four off that, that those three shifts in five days are, are a killer, especially if you're in a busy house. Are you finding that some shifts may be affecting you more or is there a better shift to be on as a firefighter? Have you found any of that research? That's a complex question. Yes, some shifts are better than others, but it also has to do with the person's individual habits at home. So what we recommend with all of these different shifts, because we'll have uh, 62 Romeo does group sizes of 15, and we call them cohorts. And within each cohort, we're going to have people, they could be FDNY, they could be Ocala Fire, they could be Portland Fire, they could be Indiana whatever. Uh, and each one of those uh, within those regions has different firehouses with varying levels of, of how busy they are. They all get to choose what their schedule is. Perhaps the firefighter doesn't necessarily choose the schedule, but each house is different. And so we have a mix of everybody. And so as they go through this program, how do we offer a blanket statement that works for everybody? And the way that 62 Romeo works is we just talk about the science. We, we're not telling anybody to do anything specifically, but we say, here's what the leading research is telling us. Because a lot of this information doesn't actually make it to people. It's not available. So we make it available. We talk through it. We talk about how do you manage a shift work when you know that you need to get consistent sleep. So one of the things that's been extremely effective with firefighters and this isn't recommended for the average person because it's not optimal, but it's better than the alternative, which is just simply not getting sleep. And we call it polyphasic sleeping. And so polyphasic sleep, also called multiphasic sleeping, you can call it whatever you want, but basically you're having multiple sleep periods within a 24-hour uh, window. So that might look like uh, the most, I think the most effective when you can't get a full eight hours of sleep is maybe if you can get four hours sleep, we use that as one window of sleep. If you can get another four hours of sleep at another period of time, that's great. That's two periods of sleep. And actually that was common in the 1920s, 1930s, right here in San Diego. That's actually what everybody did as a normal thing. So we break the mold of what sleep should be. Now, what I'm finding is that yes, folks can average four, four and a half hours of sleep while on duty, but it's difficult to get another four hour sleep period. Where are they going to get that? And so a lot of times what we'll recommend is what's known in the sleep science community as an everyman schedule. And what that is, it includes with beyond that four hour, four and a half hour sleep period, whatever you can get. We're also integrating two nap periods throughout the day. Now, the first you know, complaint that we get is, oh, my firehouse is not going to allow naps. And so that gets back to the cultural shift that we're trying to induce. But if we're able to get a, a nap approved, so to speak, and I've seen folks who get written up for taking a nap while they're working, we have to stop that. But if naps are allowed, then the next step is to build in some level of consistency. Because if we can all go to bed at a similar time, try to knock out that four-hour sleep window, it's also important to get consistency within the nap period. So, for example, if Joe goes to sleep at night, he gets four hours, maybe if he's lucky, six hours, 
and then rolls into his day, if he can get a nap at a window, the same window each time, so maybe like 10 a.m., and then get another nap at 2 p.m., those two naps are actually enough to supplement a four-hour sleep period at night in, in a healthy way. And people are able to get, for the most part, complete restoration. It's never going to be perfect. But the goal here is to have consistency. So what that means is you're going to want to try to do that while you're at home, if possible. And so in doing this with an entire firehouse, now we have to do what we do in the Navy, which is build a watch schedule. So now offering an example, because we did the circadian watch schedule with the Navy, the Fleet Navy in 2017, after the ship collisions, 19 kids died, they had to do something. And so in building a watch schedule, we say Joe goes, takes his nap at 10 to 1030. And by the way, it's a 30 minute window, 20 minute nap. It's, we call it a tactical nap. Uh, That's the optimal nap. And then maybe Bob takes his from 1030 to 11 and Sandy takes hers from 11 to 1130, something like that. But when we give folks the tools to do this on their own and the understanding and the knowledge, now we empower them to start making choices for themselves, to teach a man to, to fish rather than feed him. And with that, we've you know, given them the space to, to work on this themselves. And what we're seeing is definite objective and subjective measurements of, of sleep improvement. So let's talk about how the program works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where should we start? There's an enrollment process. We can definitely talk about enrollment process, but like, what is it that you're teaching exactly? I know that during my reading, you had some, I guess, for the pillars of the foundation of what 62 Romeo is. And so maybe touch on that a bit, maybe touch on the tools you're trying to teach. Yeah, absolutely. There's six sessions. The first session is just a basic overview of the program. We're not trying to change anything. We're not trying to modify anything. And the reason being is we want to do an introduction. We want to build rapport. We want to talk about all the things that they're going to learn in the program, just in general, just the wave tops. And then we want to get to know each other, get to know the equipment that we sent out. And we want to create a a starting point. And so that first week between week one and week two, or session one and session two, that's a baseline. Because remember, we're measuring everything. Right. So we send them a withing sleep mat. It's a ballista cardiogram is a scientific name and then a light and sound device, the hatch restore. And they won't actually use the hatch restore until week two. So they start measuring with the withing sleep mat and they start recording their sleep diaries. We ping them every day just to give the five W's on what happened last night to give some context. And then on week two, now we start to make changes and we want to make the changes up front so that we have time for these to become habits. Once we see an actual habit developing, then we see that physiological response in the sleep measurements. So the first the first thing that we do is implement that hatch restore. So on week two, session two, we talk about light, sound, and temperature. And that's the original research that I did in graduate school. We talk about how that impacts sleep from a neurological function. We talk about the sleep, how do you set up your bedroom or your bunk at the firehouse to have optimal sleep? Because it turns out that all of these things impact you, whether you're awake or not. A lot of people think that they turn off when they go to sleep. Oh no. Oh no. So what we want to do is have uninterrupted sleep to the best of our ability, set ourselves up for success. Then we roll into week three 
and we talk about behavioral mechanisms, like things that we do throughout the day that either negatively impact our sleep or positively impact our sleep. And so now we're starting to make some more changes there and some more tweaks. Everything's completely optional. Everybody knows their life situation better than I ever will. And so we give them more tools for the tool bag than they'll ever need. And they get to pick and choose what needs to be applied to their situation. Then the program lightens up a little bit because we want to get some of those core changes up front. So then we roll into session four, session five, session six, and we really dig into some of the, the sleep science and research, finishing up with what sleep measurement devices are out on the market. And the goal is by the time we finish this six-week program, we not only want them to have improved their own sleep, but we want them to become sleep ambassadors. We're going to graduate these folks. We're going to send them a certificate of graduation and send them out into the world as sleep ambassadors to spread the good word. Maybe just to move the needle one little bit with each person at their firehouse. And the results have been remarkable because I'm seeing, I get emails every day from folks that have went through the program and now they're making presentations for their leadership or their battalion or whatever. And they're making those incremental changes. So not only are we spreading good information, but we're also starting to shift the culture about the importance of sleep. That culture is, is so key because like you said, there's some places that they still don't want to allow a nap or downtime as we call it or where I am. And even when you're allowed downtime within the station, sometimes it's frowned upon for, for individuals to take that downtime. We have a, a 90 minute, a 60 minute to 90 minute window of breakfast and lunch. And it's also, in addition, there's some downtime. You can just relax. There's nothing planned during that time normally. But even if it's, even if it's built into the schedule, there's some, there's some fire stations in my department where it's known that it's frowned upon to take that downtime, which doesn't make sense to me. That's something that I've worked on to shift for people around me to shift that thinking because I, that those times to just get away and relax are just too important to give up. Yeah. So I see. How, how do you, all right. So these guys come in guys and, and women, they come in and they, they start your program. How are they able to control some environment at the firehouse though? Because if you have a, if you have a crew bunk room, how do you control that environment? The first thing that, people are going to object with, which is the same thing that the skipper and an XO on a ship are going to object with is I need to be operationally ready. When I'm on duty, I can't be in la la land and not able to respond to the call. And we respect that. But if there is an alarm or there is a call that level of, okay, it's time to wake up and go that will still be there. We can implement some things at a lower level to buffer out some of the light, sound, and temperature and make our sleeping experience better, and it shouldn't impact the job. Some really easy hacks that people can do today are go on Amazon and order a face mask and earplugs. I, in the SEAL teams, we did a lot of shooting. Just because I'm putting in earplugs doesn't mean I can't hear the guy next to me. It blocks the percussion of the, the pistol or the rifle shooting but I can actually still hear people. But what that does is if I'm putting on a face mask and earplugs while I'm napping, but this could cost you five bucks, right? Change your life forever. Now we're buffering out a lot of the sounds, which we have research that shows that the sounds are breaking up your sleep cycles while you're sleeping. So we need to buffer out some of those sounds. Some folks already have a fan running mm -hmm. in their bunk room or at the firehouse or where, whatever their sleeping situation is that can act as white noise or something similar to white noise. 
And when we elevate a smooth, melodic sound like a fan or a heating unit or something like that, we can actually buffer out a lot of the noise spikes in our environment. And that's important because as low as 35 decibels, I'm probably talking 60 decibels right now, peaks as low as 35 decibels have the ability to imp a sleep cycle. So we can measure that with brainwave activity. So if we're buffering out a lot of the little sounds that could potentially impact your sleep cycle, you don't even know it's impacting you, but it is. And now you have worse sleep. Then if we're able to buffer out some of those sounds then we can accomplish a little bit better sleep. And I'll tell you the way that the, the brain processes the environment is very much um, a function of the amygdala, right? The amygdala is processing everything and kind of codifying it with emotions. And what we know about veterans and first responders, especially if we've heard the term hypervigilant, is that as they're processing this information, they can be very sensitive. They can be more sensitive than their spouse. For example, if you're at home sleeping, a firefighter might be able to wake up to a, a car alarm down the street a mile away like that, but the spouse is still asleep. And that's a a result of a career of always being on alert, always being in that fight or flight state, always having a, a sympathetic nervous system response, a hyperactive amygdala, and they're always queued up. So if that's the case, now we can buffer out some of those things that affect us even more, those sounds, that noise pollution that affects us even more. And then to layer on to all of this within the 62 Romeo program, starting on week two, we implement relaxation techniques and we give people the the skill sets. We give them five different skill sets. They choose if they want to use any of them or none of them, or if they like one of them, but we also give them the ability to continue that journey of, of finding new relaxation techniques. But when we're able to change our sympathetic nervous system response to a parasympathetic nervous system response, we can instantly let go of a lot of the tension and anxiety that causes insomnia. It makes it easier to fall asleep. It makes it easier to stay asleep, less night terrors, less nighttime awakenings that are unneeded. So all of these things cumulatively actually really do work. They really do help the firefighter. And even with rule number one in our program is that there's no such thing as perfect sleep. We know the job that we signed up for. We know it's not going to be easy, but we have tips and tricks and things that people learn in the 60 Romeo program that will dramatically improve the sleep. And that's what we need to be able to continue down this career path. So what, this is an odd question because like you said, there's no such thing as perfect sleep. So how do you measure success in the program? We measure, we have millions of data points from the ballistic cardiogram and a ton of information from the intake outtake surveys and sleep diaries, but we want to keep it simple. So if you go through the program, you finish, we're going to send you your own personalized sleep report. Hey, here's how you did from start to finish. And the top three things that we want to focus on are sleep latency, which is very important. What that means is how long does it take you to fall asleep? If you're not able to fall asleep quickly, then you could be in a sympathetic nervous system state. You could be dealing with anxiety. These type of things are the number one cause of of early onset insomnia. The second thing that we look at, and, and we want to take a look at what do we need to do in our sleep to be healthy down the road? Like how, what do we really need to look at so that we get that restoration that we need, whether we're trying to make gains in the gym or just trying to stay alert on the job. 
And the top two things that we like to look at as that pertains are the total amount of deep sleep within your sleep and the total amount of REM sleep or dream sleep within your sleep. And so those are the other two factors that we measure. And what we've seen is that most people come in and we measure that baseline and they are below, they're, they're not within a normal range for these uh, three measurements. And throughout the program, traditionally, we've seen about a 30% improvement, which is huge. This is life-changing results. So that means we're bringing people, for the most part, not everybody is as successful as the next person. It has something to do with commitment level two, but there's also things beyond our control. But we're able to bring most people within a healthy range, and that's all we need. That's what we're looking for. So speaking of healthy ranges, how are you using wearables to measure that? The way that we measure sleep is through the Withing Sleep Mat. It's a ballistic cardiogram. And when I talk to my sleep science buddies, I already know the conversation. We know that ballistic cardiograms have flaws. We know they're not perfect. The only perfect way to measure sleep is polysomnography, which means that you got to go to a sleep lab. Now they have some at-home sleep testing, but you're putting on an EEG. You got to put on a heart monitor. Sometimes they measure breathing for obstructive sleep apnea. You're measuring pulse oximetry. You're measuring all these things, but who in the heck wants to put on all that junk? So then we look at, do we use a wearable, which is most likely going to be on the wrist or a ring goes on the finger, or we can do some of the non-contact measurement protocols, which I'm a big fan of because I don't want anything touching me. Number one, I don't want anything touching me. Number two, I don't want to have to charge anything. So if we use a wearable uh, and the battery dies, then we have to remember to charge it. So we chose the Withing Sleep Mat because we believe that it gives very accurate information. It, It has errors. It has its shortfalls. We accept that. We acknowledge that. But the power of being able to plug it in and just set it and forget it, I can't speak to how powerful that is. It is. It really just hits the easy button on things. And when we look at the shortfalls in any sleep measurement device, because whether it's a a Whoop or a Fitbit, they all have shortfalls. We think that the ease of use is a a good trade-off. And then when you look at 42 days of measurement, there's no question whether there's some anomalies or some errors or, or missed readings. There's no question what the trend looks like. You have a dot here on a graph. And then you have a dot over here that's much higher on a graph and you see all the dots in between showing an upward trajectory. There's no question that even if the sleep measurement device isn't perfect, it's pretty clear that the sleep is improved. So the overall goal is to improve sleep. Simple, right? Simple. And it sounds very simple, but obviously there's some tricks and, and there's some pitfalls that are going to be along the way. And you just kind of have to find a way to manage that for yourself and within a fire station and within home, basically, because life gets in the way sometimes. What's the importance of sleep for longevity? Sleep is extremely important for longevity. We know that sleep or sleep deprivation, lack of sleep, is linked to all cause mortality, meaning that every major cause of death can be linked back to sleep. Now, does that mean that sleep is the cause of all death? No, that's that's not true, but it's a factor in everything. We also have to look at alcohol consumption and nutrition and exercise and all of these things that go into your health, but sleep seems to be a pillar of everything. If we look at, at sleep, 
with nutrition and exercise, it is absolutely a very big part of the picture. So when you look at longevity of a career, whether you're in the SEAL teams or you're at the firehouse, it's easy to shortchange yourself. It's easy to force yourself to function on four hours of sleep because all of your buddies are doing it. That's the culture. There's a culture of sleep deprivation as a badge of honor. But what happens is you'll start to see down the road, oh, my endocrine function has started to change. Like my testosterone levels are lower. All of these things start to compound. And so it could be five years, 10 years, 20 years, but it will catch up to you. Sleep deprivation will catch up to you. You can almost measure sleep performance and equate it to the length and quality of your life in every situation. So if you are able to get better sleep, you give yourself the best chance at not only performing the next day, but having a career that lasts without some of these serious health complications or mental health complications. We see that too. You know, so mentioning mental health, what, how do you tie in sleep with mental health? Because I know there's a lot that happens when you sleep to take care of some of the mental health. And, and I, don't know, I don't know the exact science behind it, but I know that there's an indexing that goes on when you sleep. And, and how is that if you know, lack of sleep or interrupted sleep has got to be affecting that mental health just from that aspect? Yeah, mental health is a word that is being questioned these days. Is mental health okay to talk about? Should we be able to talk about it? Is mental health the right term to use? When we look at post-traumatic stress disorder, we're looking at recurring thoughts and nightmares and these memories coming back in for an extended period of time, maybe six months. So some people call it PTS, post-traumatic stress. It's not a disorder. And so these labels carry a lot of weight in the communities. And a lot of times, they're blockers to having the conversation. Like we don't want to talk about mental health. We don't want to talk about a disorder. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. But when we look at, if we just want to call it mental health, if we look at it from the lens of like physical health, well, it's like, was your cardiovascular fitness? How is your flexibility? And so maybe we might relate that to how is your cognition? Do you have top-down thinking? Or are you always in an animalistic, hyperactive amygdala state that hypervigilance we talked about. Long-term sleep can have a dramatic effect on your psyche. Now, it's my belief it's very difficult to prove any of these things because how can we really dive into the brain more than just an electrode, right? But it's my belief that within the dream sleep, that's where we sort out all of our cognitive dissonance. That's where we sort out the traumas. That's where we sort out a lot of folks do dream work, specifically Charlie Morley does a bunch of lucid dreaming work where we encounter those traumas and deal with them within the dream. But the one thing that I do agree with is that during dream sleep, that's where we keep our sanity. That's where we make things okay that trouble us throughout the day, especially traumatic events. And so if we're not getting sleep, specifically REM sleep, we see that uh, a lot of times people can be more emotionally unstable. We know that things start to degrade the you know, emotional intelligence, like the ability to read facial expressions, the ability to sort through different things in the waking uh, world. And so a career of sleep deprivation not only creates this, can create this brain fog, and then we're attached to these traumas and can stay in this fight or flight state. If we're not if we're not getting sleep, I've just seen it, man. Like the cheese can start to slip off the cracker. My buddy, Ryan Larkin, back in the teams, 
was struggling with sleep, was diagnosed with a couple of different issues that we don't have to go into, but his sleep was suffering. The Navy was giving him Ambien. He was using Ambien or alcohol to fall asleep. He wasn't getting into those REM cycles and that deep sleep that he needed. And the result was, is things just continued to spiral. And before he took his life, he was awake for five days. And then he made the decision. This is all too common. We also had a firefighter by the name of Ryan that went down a similar path. I think that was 2019, I want to say. You probably know better than me. But I find that this is pretty common when the sleep health starts to get bad. And maybe there's trauma in life or we have some depression. And then all of a sudden we stop sleeping and then that's when it gets really bad. We've even seen folks who are seem okay. And then within two days are committing suicide. And then we take a look back and yeah, they were not in the best place, but then they stopped sleeping. The insomnia got them and then everything just fell apart. How do people find you? How do, how do they get into the program? What's, what are the steps? The first step is to go to 62r.org. And you can find out more about us. You just click on there and put in your email and create a password and you have access to everything. We welcome feedback. If anybody thinks that there's more stuff that we can put on there that would be helpful, I'm happy to do that. But that's where you find the application. It's a quick application. You put in your information. And then as funding comes in, we set up those enrollment calls. It's basically just a quick interview to say, hey, you want to do this program? Let's find out a little bit more about your situation. And then once they're classed up, then they, we push them through the 62 Romeo program. And the results are pretty uniform. We have some people that don't do as well. But overall, you're having seriously life-changing, significant results uh, with people that go through this program. So you mentioned that some people don't do as well. And I guess my question there is... Uh... Is there a requirement in the sense of we talked about Ambien and alcohol and coping mechanisms for what we as first responders or, or military lean to in the times where we want to sleep, which doesn't create sleep. It just creates maybe passing out. But do you re, do you ask of or require them to say, all right, no, I'm not drinking during this period. I'm not taking this during that this period. We do. That's a requirement. And everybody we're not we're using the trust system. We're not there checking on people. But if you have a problem with alcohol, a serious problem with alcohol, then we're going to recommend an alcohol cessation program as a first step before you do something like 62 Romeo. Anytime there's ideation, we hear some of that stuff, then we got to run that up the chain. We got to get them the help they need. Obstructive sleep apnea, right? If they are, if they have sleep apnea, and their doctor says you should be on a CPAP and they're not on the CPAP, we need them to go back to the doctor and have that conversation because <clears throat> that'll kill you. Obstructive sleep apnea is a serious deal, something that they need to have touch points with their doctor and address whatever the, whatever the prescription is. So we need that stuff handled. And then we ask the average person might drink a little bit, might eat a little bit of, of marijuana gummies, depending on what state you're in. And sometimes they don't talk about that stuff. Sometimes people take melatonin or sometimes Ambien or other types of pills that they use for sleep. So we ask that, hey, if you're going to do this program, give us a fair shot. Try to get off all this stuff. Some people truly believe that the pill is the only way that they can fall asleep. Just trust us. Stop using the melatonin. Stop using even the herbal supplements. We get in herbal supplements later on in the program, 
And then at that point in time, it's okay. You can drink your chamomile, no drama. But what we want to show is stop everything. Let's build good habits. We're going to show you that you can sleep effectively without anything, without anything. Then once we get to that point where we've proven that to the individual, then like I said, we can start adding in some magnesium or whatever supplement uh, floats your boat. But by that time, we look at those folks as the sleep ambassadors. They're trained. They know the information that's out there and they can make a good decision. So Ambien, what does it do to a body? What does it do to you? People, like you said, people swear by it for sleep. Is there a benefit to it or no, not at all? Ambien is terrible. And I don't want to give any medical advice. That's not what uh, I'm here to do. But doctors are supposed to prescribe this stuff to get over the hump. It's not meant to be something that you take for the rest of your life. Who in their right mind is going to take a pharmaceutical for the rest of their life and think that's not going to have an impact? Not only does taking those drugs have an impact all on its own, which studies like that, negative impact of things like Ambien are, are never going to see the light of day because it's a multi-billion dollar company. They've got it locked down. But what we do know is that when you take a sedative that becomes sedative-induced sleep, you're sedating yourself into the unconscious world. You're not actually falling asleep. You're not actually slipping into a hypnagogic state. You're just doping yourself up and you're passing out. And oh yeah, it absolutely affects your deep sleep, your REMs, depending on the, the type of drug that you use. This alcohol, pot, these things absolutely affect our sleep cycles. And these are critical cycles of during sleep. Like when you go into deep sleep, a fun fact is that your brain can reduce in size by as much as 60% allowing the cerebrospinal fluid to come in there and wash away some of those toxins. And, and like, for example, with we know that the beta amyloid protein buildup is a precursor for Alzheimer's, right? So if you're not rinsing away the, those things that build up on the brain and supporting the lymphatic system to get that out of there and bringing in new immune cells in your brain, I've had sleepless nights where my brain hurt the next day. You can feel it, right? Our, our body needs to go through this recovery process in our brains and our muscles. We're re rebuilding muscles. We're preparing hormone production the next day. If you're doping yourself up, you're going to see an impact on all of those things. We want good, healthy endocrine function. And that comes with sleep, good gut biome, good activities and behaviors throughout the day. So we, we, can't, we can't support uh, sedative induced sleep. Not unless the doctor recommends it. And you should think about it. Is this a, a short-term thing or a long-term thing? We don't want this to be a long-term thing. No, it can't be healthy. And, and that's why I wanted to ask, because I do hear people say, well, I can't do it without X, Y, or Z. And I just want people to realize, no, it can be done. You just have to set the stage properly. And this is why a program like this is so vital, because it, it, this helps you learn how to set that stage. Exactly. So I'm going to link to... 62 Romeo in, in the show notes and a couple of other things that we discussed. Before I let you get out of here, though, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions I ask everybody, and, and I might be putting you on the spot here, but I named this show The Things We All Carry after a book that uh, by Dan O'Brien, and it's called The Things They Carried. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. I think we talked about it when, when you and I talked. You mentioned it, and I read it. Okay. So what did you think about the book? It was incredible. I saw the author go in and out of his memory, his ego's narrative, his fantasy, his traumas. It was really interesting to, to follow the story because 
it seemed this guy's legit. He's been through some stuff and it wasn't necessarily sexy or what we want to, to say is the optimal warrior story, but it told some truths that I can relate to, which is that there's nothing pretty about war and that there's, it's not a sexy, we're not watching 300 or Sparta, like some type of, you know, movie with Brad Pitt where he's just a champion killing everybody. There's nothing pretty about this stuff. There's nothing good about taking human lives or seeing the type of trauma that, you know, that he described in the book. I found it interesting that he, wait one. Yep. Okay. Something tried to buzz in. I found it interesting that he went back to, oh, some of this stuff I've made up in my imagination and glorified, but some of it's true. And he, he wrote that line of what's real and what's fantasy and we'll never know. And perhaps he doesn't even know. And I find that interesting because in life, everything is our perception and what we believe is true, no matter what it is. And I question sometimes whether reality is simply an illusion. And we tend to cast our memories into the present and into our future projections. Mm -hmm. And that becomes our path, right? What we believe becomes our path because we're carterized by these uh, traumas. We have these memories and these experiences, and they've built this psychological architecture. This, this is who I am because this is what I've experienced, and this is how the world is. And when I look through that lens, that's how it is. So it's very interesting. I like the book. Thank you for the recommendation. Oh, awesome. I'm glad you read it. Along those lines, what I'd like to ask everybody is something, obviously, we all carry something from these jobs. But I, I like to ask people about an everyday carry. Is there something that you carry with you every day that if you've left home without, you'll feel naked or out of place without it? Physically, no. Mentally, absolutely. Uh, some of the traumas and memories in my life, some of them were impactful, significant, painful, life-changing, that I am the person I am today because of those experiences. And I carry a lot of those traumas. I carry a lot of those gnarly experiences. And the way that I choose to accept them and metabolize them is to allow those to make me stronger, allow them to be the best version of myself, meaning this is a bad place that I don't want to go again. I show gratitude for where I'm at right now and who I am today. And that allows me to be happy. That allows me, that gives me strength to continue with my breathing exercises, my meditation practices each morning, doing goodwill in the world and seeing the positive because life's short, man, it ain't gonna, it's going to end for all of us. And we choose every day, whether we wake up and approach the world and, and be that observer and give love and just really embody what it means to be alive. And because of those traumas, I don't take anything for granted. I carry them with me. I own them. I own the mistakes that I've made. And I just try to use that to make myself a better person every day. It's well said. It's, it's a great way of taking that something that might be a negative and just you taking control and turn it around and say, no, that's fuel for me. That's not going to bring me down. I, I love that mindset. That's a great way of thinking about it. Thank you. The final thing I like to ask people, is there a book or two that you want to recommend to the audience, something that was bring some value to their lives and their experiences? That is a great question. Hundreds of books that I have read through that changed my life. That could probably be an entire podcast. But I'll tell you the one we send, right? The one that we send 
to all 62 Romeo participants is the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's extremely good. It paints a, a negative uh, picture of what will happen when you don't sleep. But what Matt has learned is that that's what people listen to. They listen to the negative. He's got his critics, people that are like, oh, I looked at this study and I observed it in a different way. And here's my perspective. And then they try to use that as a uh, to bring him down a notch, but he's super successful. One of the most popular sleep scientists out there. He goes over a ton of stuff, adolescence, adults, development, and it is a really good book. Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. I have it sitting in, in a pile of books right now. It's, it, it is a good book. It's a great book. And, and he's a very interesting person to listen to when he speaks and he's on, on, on other podcasts. So he's a very smart man. Yep. If you're out there, Matt, I'm still waiting for our interview. I'd love to meet you, brother. So with that, I want to say thank you, Rob. This has been great. Hopefully we get some people out there and looking at your stuff and, and signing up for it and, and at least paying more attention to sleep because it is so important to all of us, especially first responders and military. I love it, man. I'm just here to serve. So thank you for getting the word out. Awesome. I appreciate it. You go ahead and enjoy the rest of your day out there in San Diego and enjoy the weather because it's about 40 degrees and rainy here in Virginia. So it's miserable here. So hopefully you're enjoying some sunshine out there. I am. I'm spoiled. So awesome. I appreciate it. And we'll be in touch and I'll let you know when the show's coming out. It won't be too long, but I'll, I'll give you a heads up when it's coming out. All right. Excellent. All right, Thanks, Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and remember to check in on each other.